0: Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history behind it. I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and what we're doing this time round is a combination of two things. There is a company that exists right now called WeWorks, and there is a TV show about it, a mini-series, if you like, on Apple TV called We Crashed. I guess you could say that gives away what happens, but... The point of this is to talk to you guys a little bit about economic history. Now, now, I want you to calm down. I promise this will be interesting because this isn't about very dry forms of economics, but actually how throughout history people have got carried away, creating these kind of fake levels of demand and led to these huge Crashes and WeWorks is a good example of that. So I really hope that you enjoy this. A little bit of history, a little bit of economics this time around, and also a little bit about my day job, basically. Because hey, this podcast doesn't exactly pay the bills. Nine to five. What a way to make a On that point, look, as always, please, if you can subscribe, well, if you can, it involves pushing one button. Please subscribe. Please, if you can, tell a friend about it. I'm at Jem on Twitter. I, uh, every week, I sort of post information going, hey, this is the new episode, blah, blah, blah. Feel free to retweet that stuff. Please spread the love, spread the word, if you can. So, I think I'm going to start specifically with the TV show and then lead into a little bit of my personal experience and we'll, we'll go from there. So, Anne Hathaway. And Jared Leto, two Oscar-winning actors, are the two stars of this show called We Crashed. And Jared Leto has an interesting reputation. He is a serious actor. This is also a man who's fronted a rock band as well. He's also been a model. He's actually older than me, looks 20 years younger than me, and still has washboard abs. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, he recently played in a Fairly big flop. A vampire called Morbius. If you're going to run, do it now. And uh, wouldn't surprise me if he actually is a vampire. Now, he is known for his method acting. Going all in. Recently, again, he was in House of Gucci. Where (laughs) he wore lots of... He likes wearing prosthetics as well. So he deliberately played against type. He was this sort of chubby gentleman, balding... Haunch. everything you don't associate with Jared Leto stop stop you're going to make me you're going to make me cry and he decided to play this genuinely Italian member of the Gucci empire as basically how a 10 year old would play an Italian or play somebody like Mario you know from the various Mario Nintendo games As he's sort of like, hey, uh, my name is, you know, Mario. Hey, uh, those are some spas meat buzz Like, there's just zero subtlety for it. He, he goes all in, and yeah. He was apparently a nightmare on set during Suicide Squad, the first one with that name, when he played the Joker. And he apparently thought that because he was the Joker, he had to constantly do terrible practical jokes on other people. Sounds like a nightmare. However. Dallas Buyers Club you know he quite rightly wins an Oscar he sort of like plays this utterly emaciated person highlighting the problem AIDS and getting relief for AIDS in terms of like medicine things like that in America in the 1980s and 1990s very powerful people forget he was the young guy and the sort of like the innocent follower the zealot if you like in Fight Club that came out in 1999 so yeah look if you want to make an argument about some of his great movies, they are there. Great actor. Anne Hathaway, we're talking about a woman who literally had her head shaved for the movie version of Les Miserables. And, you know, she had to sing as well. I dreamed a dream in time gone by And hope was high and life worth living You know, what a performance. But, you know, she's also been Catwoman in a Christopher Nolan Batman movie and so on and so forth. So, look, both of them, I'm actually going to say that Anne Hathaway is a better actor, but they basically play this, in essence, power couple, Adam and Rebecca Newman. And we get to see them courting in this TV show called We Crashed. And the tagline for it is basically it's like a $47 billion love story. And it sort of is, and it's really interesting because what it is, is Adam Newman, Jared Leto character, he's Israeli and he is desperate to be an entrepreneur. And he's tried kind of everything to set up his own companies and set up his own brands and nothing's really sticking. And then he sort of happens to stumble across this idea of rented office space and thinks that he can Evolve that concept into something that's more pleasing for the twenty tens, and then he meets Rebecca Paltrow, she is a cousin of Gwyneth Paltrow, and she again at the beginning, she probably has the better life. she is more financially secure than Mr. Newman, shall we say, Adam, and so she kind of has the the advantage at the beginning, but as they go along, he's such a force of nature, and he throws. 110% of his energy time vision sales ability into this idea of we work that he starts pulling off something that's quite remarkable a bit more on that in a moment whereas she now has the, the basically access to this growing company and money and things like that and she kind of loses her way a little bit and My wife says that, uh, and she hates her in the show, and if you look at the real Adam and Rebecca Newman and then see the performances, again, Jared Leto, he's got a prosthetic nose on to look a bit more like Adam, and he's got this sort of slightly strange Israeli accent, but when you see the real guy, this is actually an example of Jared Leto reining in a little bit. He is very sort of like loud and outlandish, but the real guy's even more so. There's no way you could explain his success or let's, let's you call it attention seeking other than just having this sort of very larger than life character. But then Anne Hathaway, she's got this kind of drawl to her voice and she she's got this kind of these sort of mannerisms and she's just not very nice. But I mean, she doesn't have a bad bone in her body. But it's just it, it's just prickly again we'll kind of come on to a, a bit more about this later and again when you actually see the real rebecca newman she's got it perfectly and i you know i look whether or not rebecca newman likes the, the show because you know perhaps she doesn't come across very well but look being portrayed by an oscar-winning beautiful woman i would love it if anne hathaway played me in my biography um although that would be a little odd i'll happily say that anyway the point is that they start this company. Now, I don't know what your particular background is, but shared office space, office rental, is very, very common in most developed marketplaces. And what it means is that, you know, maybe you work for a company that has a building. Fine. Okay, that's great. In which case, it's all their own property. It's their own branding everywhere, et cetera, et cetera. But most companies aren't of that size. so. You might walk into an office block and there may be 10 floors to this office block. And you'll see on the front, it's like floor two. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use brand names, you know, but clearly all these companies have their own offices and their own office space. But it might be oh, levels two and three are Coca-Cola and levels four and five are Barclays Bank. And oh, I see level six is Waitrose. You get the idea. So basically, as you wander around the office you can see completely different companies probably not competitors but you get the idea now that's a whole floor actually again an awful lot of companies can't afford an entire and don't need an entire floor so what do they do and i've literally been in this situation in my career it's like okay we've got two rooms two rooms are our room there's one room for meetings and interviews and things like that and project team meetings And the other room is actually the admin, your desk and, you know, your computer, all that kind of stuff. Literally was part of a company which had two rooms and that was it. And that's not uncommon in the modern world. Then there's a sort of shared coffee area and bathrooms and things like that. And if you wanted more space, you could go to reception and you could rent for the day another boardroom. Perhaps with a better view and more coffees and things like that because you really want to impress a client. So you get the idea. And so that is the market that the Newmans went into. And they said, basically, it's all a bit staid. It's all a bit old fashioned. We spend so much time at work. We need to make this cooler. And also, by the 2010s with the millennials, they're not looking for stuffy office space. And so what do they do? They make it almost like a set from a movie. It still has the, the sort in essence, cubicles. Or, sort of like, sealed off rooms that you can have for, like, meetings, etc., where you you'd simply need quiet, need to be separate from other areas. But it not only does it have its own sort of area where you can make teas and coffees, it'll literally, and I'm not making this up, it'll literally have a beer tap. So you can, like, at the end of the day, you can just still be in the office and treat yourself to a beer. And there's funky wallpaper, and there's, like, neon signs around the place with phrases like hustle harder and other things and you know there there might even be like a a table tennis place or you know a football table you know mini football that kind of stuff and all these sorts of things you know just make it cooler gives it a nicer vibe the decor is is just more pleasing to the perhaps more staid places and you might be sitting there going that sounds great and it is i'm not going to disagree with it this is this is all lovely Isn't blend and functional the point? No, it's not. It's the opposite. We're doing something different. We're building a community. But they go further, and they start saying how they're trying to change the consciousness of business, and this is actually a force of change in society. It isn't. You're renting space for small companies to carry out whatever they do. They might be a graphic designer they might be an electronic engineer working on new components they could be anything quite frankly and not all these companies are looking to change their consciousness and I know in in the US ones at least in the New York ones and invariably in somewhere like California as well there was a case that you could actually get food there too but it was only vegan food with like a minimum carbon footprint Again, not necessarily a bad thing, but I'm not vegan. And if you want me to stay in the office and work all the way through, do you know what? I might just want a a BLT for lunch, okay? That doesn't make me a bad person. And, you know, I might want buttery popcorn. Butter isn't vegan. So it was trying to find this space between business and this kind of well-being movement that's really been going from strength to strength for the last... 10, 15 years. Now, let's face it, it's there's been an element of it since the kind of nineteen sixties with these ideas of like, these gurus and, and things like that. But the idea of it leaking into the business environment really is a 21st century idea. So that's what was going on. But as this company was growing, and you see this in the show, every point of reference that Adam Newman is making is comparing WeWorks renting office space to things like Amazon and Apple and Alibaba and Google. And it's like these are all tech platforms. You're not a tech platform. And this is the point where, you know, in the show, it's, it's, it actually opens with the fact that it's all going horribly wrong. The motion is passed. Call his office and get him down here. Adam Newman's office i'm gonna pull him out of this meeting right now not picking up get esther over there yes i understand it's urgent and you watch this sort of like the rise and fall of this company and you see how it goes horribly wrong sort of towards the end in more detail and there's this wonderful character called cameron i don't know if he's real or not but he is the one constantly talking complete sense and You know, I was, again, talking to my wife about it. It's like, is he the bad guy? Because he keeps trying to stop Adam doing things. And she goes, no, absolutely not. And he is, he's like Cassandra from the ancient Greek myths. If you don't know that one, Cassandra is a woman who only tells the truth, but is cursed that nobody will listen to her. Our city is filled with sorrow. Our streets flooded with tears. Until there will not be one of us with food to eat, water to drink, or air to breathe. Cassandra! Cassandra! Enough! The war will not be over until the curse is lifted. You all know it. Why can you not understand? Why do you not believe? Because, child, we must not believe you. And I have been like that in my career, and this is what he's like in this situation. And it's so weird, because these incredibly functional, serious institutions are being sort of sucked in with this belief by Adam Newman. And sort of like buying the comparison with something like Google or Uber. It's like, but then it's not the same business model. And so one of the critical things is he wants to grow. He wants to expand, expand, expand. He wants to spread the mission statement of WeWorks around the world 24-7, seven continents, et cetera. And so they just keep growing and keep growing and keep growing. And they need, obviously, money so that they can buy the assets, et cetera. And to grab this market share, to grab the majority of shared space retail estate in New York City, you know, he is having to borrow principally from a company called SoftBank, but are other investors as well, literally giving him billions. But as they point out in one episode, the first time he starts talking about annual turnover, he is doing 1.8 billion, which is very impressive in that market space of shared office space. However, to get that $1.8 billion, he has spent $1.9 billion. And there is a sort of element of anybody can grow a company if you're just throwing money out. There's a wonderful analogy as they try and explain it to Adam. He goes, you don't understand. This This is my vision, my dream. This is the business plan. We've got to spend to grow, spend to grow. And one guy just simply gets a cardboard cup, punches a hole in the bottom of it with his pen and then pours water into the cup and goes, this is our company. And that is a brilliant metaphor of what's going on. Now, obviously, I was not privy to these conversations. I am a business trainer by day and I have trained in a wee work and at one point I was training the salespeople in the UK of one of the competitors of WeWorks, and there was a big old conversation. This is before the pandemic. I'm going to say I was doing this, I I don't have an exact diary, but I'm going to say 2017, 2018, where WeWorks was beginning to go towards IPO. So IPO is basically your first step to saying, hey, everybody, this is our initial offer to the, the stock market, because we're going to go from a private company to now having lots of shareholders. And you know it's now... The market that decides how much our company is worth. And at the beginning of an IPO, you obviously then have to throw open your books. Everybody has to check that you are selling as much as you say you're selling. What are your revenue streams actually like? And what are your cost centers as well? Plus, on top of that, you get these estimations. We think this entire company is going to be worth X amount of money. Very exciting time for any company because if you own that company and it goes public, you're going to make an obscene amount of money at that point. But the rules also fundamentally change for that, that company at that point. Now, if you like, all the IPO stuff, this is all quite modern banking. But other things about sort of guessing the value, oh, that goes way back in history. More on that in a little bit. So, Gem on the outside looking in, going to one of these WeWorks sites in London. This is the first time I'd ever been to one, and I just found it a bit confusing it was very funky in the sort of like main area there was sort of like music playing and all these sort of like very much millennials which is the generation under me younger people than me and look to let you into a little secret when i first started my career in the mid 1990s doesn't matter where you were you wore if you're a guy a suit and you would wear a tie with that suit then at the end of the 1990s, the first do- well, the first bubble, this first sort of like mass amount of demand followed by complete and total collapse happened. It was called the dot-com bubble because everybody knew that the internet was going to be a big thing, but nobody knew where to spend their money necessarily. And in the year 1999, companies like YouTube, and google and facebook didn't exist then so you're trying to guess which brands are going to get big at, in 1999 and you know what they got it pretty much completely and totally wrong what a of mistake a maker this was the first time i was introduced to to bubble mentality so i was working in media sales that's basically selling advertising and let's say the, uh, I was working in magazines. Uh, yes, all that stuff has now gone onto the internet. That job doesn't really exist anymore. Or at least it's evolved into a different type of online sales. But the point is this. I would say that the average value of, of a thing that I would be selling might be one, £2,000. Okay? And I was earning X amount of money. But a lot of my friends in 1998 and 1999 were leaving traditional magazines. Magazines are dead, Jim. Well, they did eventually become dead, but not in 1999. Sorry about that. And they were going to these other companies where they were, like I said, value between one and 2000. They were going to companies where basically the value was 500. So it was significantly less. And yet they were being paid 30, 40% more than me. And I... I said to them, I don't get the business model. And the answer was always you don't understand com gem. You get it. Okay, you're right. I'm not an electrical engineer. I'm not don't have a degree in IT, but I do understand basic business. And if you are spending more money than you're generating in, at some point that company's going to collapse. It can have external investment to sort of like buy up market share, to establish itself, seed funding. I get all that that you know that that's a thing in business you need to get some money at the beginning to get the show going but at some point, you have to pay that money back again with interest and also make some money as well. And all those people basically, all of this collapsed around about the year 2000. So many of these businesses just realized they were selling nothing and they had no business plan. And it doesn't matter how much frosted glass and sort of bean bags. A lot of companies started getting chill out rooms with like PlayStations and lava lamps and bean bags. They don't exist anymore because they're just a complete waste of money. And that isn't. The idea of getting you to relax and enjoy yourself in the office environment so you stay there longer makes makes sense. But, you know, that, that's not the first thing you buy. Getting the pool table into the uh, into the office space is is nice. But that's what you do when you start earning money. It's not the first thing you do to start earning money. So anyway, the point was they all came back, tailed between their looking very stupid, you know, it's like, hey, Gem, but in the meantime, they're earning 30 40% more than you. Yeah, but because I've been loyal to my company, my career was going better than theirs. So, yeah, that was the first example of that. And I was kind of seeing the same thing with WeWorks. And more importantly, when I was talking, to, when I was doing training with their competitor, we had a long conversation. And basically the competitor was saying, we don't get it. You know, we have more office space than them. But they're valued at being a bigger company than us in just in the UK, which they couldn't be because they didn't have as much space as this other company. And they went and they're buying up very prestigious locations, which are very expensive, London's an expensive city, but they're charging less than what we are with very preferential lease terms like you know six months a year whereas you re- preferably like people to hold on to this stuff for two three years because it means you don't have to resell it every year what's going on Jim? you know can you help us with this and it's like my answer was simply this is not sustainable you see i've discovered this terrifically fun new game it's called cards what happens is you sit around a table with your friends and you deal out five cards each and then the object of the game is to give away all your money as quickly as possible and they're going yeah but you know, you you get WeWorks in the same breath as Amazon. It's like, but it's not Amazon. And they're going, we know, but we can't talk to anybody else about it. It's like, look, this madness has to end at some point. And it did. (laughs) So basically in 2019, the IPO is ready to go. It's valued at basically 47 billion. And it didn't generate anything like 47 billion. Adam got kicked out because he still wants to just spend money. You don't understand. This is about this is about well-being and not just office space. No, your business model is office space. It isn't about well-being. In the show, and this is true, Rebecca the wife, decides to set up. They start coming up with other brands like We Live and things like that, sort of shared accommodation, you know, which I would call a youth hostel. You know, just because it has got pretty wallpaper doesn't necessarily mean that it's, you know, desirable accommodation. And apparently this is, you know, now that Adam's being kicked out of WeWorks, this is apparently what he's going into again. Very expensive, high-end, shared sort of apartment space. Good luck, Adam, but it's never going to be worth $47 So... Now imagine, living in the city, in the modern building, with all the amenities for a fraction of the cost. I'm talking about communal living. That's what happened there, and it all came kind of tumbling down. Now, to be clear, WeWork still exists, but its crash happened in 2019 when It's like the emperor's new clothes. You know that story about how they basically don't give him any clothes, but say that, you know, only wise people can see the clothes. And so the emperor walks down the streets and everybody starts laughing at him. And he realizes he is just naked. (laughs) Ha ha, the emperor's got no clothes. This is what happened. But the, the amazing thing is that it was allowed to get that far. That SoftBank had spent literally billions investing in this company that was only ever comparing itself to companies not in its own space now there's nothing wrong with trying to aspire to be the biggest and best but do you know what as profitable as something like the chain of supermarkets of tesco in the uk you know tesco wants to be the biggest it wants to be the best it wants to be the most efficient in terms of supermarkets that's great but it would be crazy talk if they're going do you know who we're up against nasa no you're not you do you have nothing in common Apart from that people work for those two institutions, nothing. There is no similarity in those things, and that's literally what what Adam was doing in this scenario. So not only did it come crashing down and everybody realized, oh, it's just an office rentals company in 2019. Of course, you can then see, which is nobody's fault to be fair, in 2020, we all started working from home anyway. So suddenly we're not going to spend money on WeWorks. And and indeed, WeWorks has got completely different management now. I believe the company as a whole is now worth something like five billion, just over dollars. So I mean, it's still a large organization organization but it has shed so much of its other stuff including this insane idea of a school which again was like we're not going to do a curriculum it's all going to be about how the children feel and it's sort of going to be about like you know like child entrepreneurship for five-year-olds and oh, by the way, the, the cost of sending your child to this sort of organic, homogenous, you know, learn to learn yourself, you know, you, you are your own superhero was something like it was over $40,000 per child. So you really had to buy into this stuff. And funnily enough, you know, the basics of things like phonics, which you need to learn how to read. They weren't teaching that. Stacy, read back the notes. I can't read. What's it say? But hey, you know, you want to go to a, a farm? Not, not, you know, because it's, again, vegan ethics. We're not talking about livestock here. We're talking about, you know, going to fields of corn and stuff like that. Sounds lovely if you're going to raise farmers. But these kids are all like the kids of very wealthy individuals in New York, that famous agricultural area of America. So... Oh, it, awful, awful! Now that's completely shut. We Grow does not exist anymore as a brand. But this kind of holistic well-being, all that kind of stuff. If you want to go to Rebecca's cousin, Gwyneth Paltrow, she, you know, she is an uh, an Oscar-winning, well-respected actress, and was for years. And, you know, quite frankly, I get how all these actors and actresses decide, you know what, there's a sort of limited shelf life on this, particularly for the bias in Hollywood against young, pretty women. So, yes, women in their 40s in Hollywood, even if they're great actors, they don't get picked as much because they always want the young ingenue. Now, it's slowly changing, and indeed, things like female directors are finally getting more and more of them either winning or at least being nominated. You know, for years, it was just like, you know, one outlying woman out of all the female directors. That's changing. So all of this is good. But you can understand why people want, in essence, another source of income. And in the case of Gwyneth Paltrow, she is now far, far more wealthy as the CEO of Goop than anything she did in her her actual acting career. Now, if you don't know what Goop is... (laughs) Come with me on a journey. I know I haven't even got to the history bit yet, but this, if you like, I'm going to say that We Crash and the story of We Works, at least in its first 10 years, this will be used in 50 to 100 years' time or later. It's like, you want to know what the work environment, you know, if you want to know what the work environment was like in the 19th century, read Oliver Twist, okay? Pretty good description. You know, Charles Dickens was very good at showing you society. And this. Drama. It's eight episodes and it's done. You know, there's a beginning, middle, and end. There's not going to be a season two. But this shows you what it was like to work in this environment in the Western world in, you know, the beginning of the twenty first century. It it is very much of its time. It'll be, you know, right now it looks cool. In twenty years' time, it'll look very dated. And in a hundred years' time, it'll look extremely historically accurate. When Jared Leto is being interviewed, he goes, "This is a really fascinating thing for us to do because we're filming it in twenty twenty one, and yet." The events we're showing happened in 2019 you know in theory you could use I mean, he didn't say this has been there you could use everybody again and they wouldn't have aged at all out of their own roles so yeah really really interesting but yeah back to goop this is the ultimate lifestyle thing where on the one hand it's trying to say look alternative medicine well-being it's about your mental state and your physical state and not just how much money you earn but on the other hand it's all fabulously expensive there is a Hey, I'm not making this up. There is a box of stickers that you can buy with various symbols on them that can, you know, you're meant to stick them on your skin and they can help you with your well-being and rebalance your chakras and even reduce your thirst. Because do you know what? After a long run on a hot, sunny day, do you know what I want to do? I want to put stickers on my sweaty body. That will definitely rehydrate me. So most of this stuff has zero actual scientific backing on it. There is no medical benefit to it. But it's about making you feel better. It's all about, you know, sometimes sexual health. And look, that is something that people do not talk about. And it is an important topic. It's very much a taboo topic. And it's great that Goop highlights it, you know, for like, $10,000. It can maybe help you a bit in that area. So it's, it's for, you know, people who've got, as you'd say, up North in England for people with more money than cents. And yeah, but look, if it didn't sell, it wouldn't exist. The company wouldn't be worth more than a billion. And that's the last thing I'm going to say about Adam. And I promise I'll then get onto some historical, although look, I've already talked to you about the dot-com bubble bursting in 1999 to 2000. You know, that that is a generation ago now, basically. The last thing I will say is they refer to WeWork as a unicorn. And if you're wondering what a unicorn is, it's a very modern description. But what it means is it's a new startup that's worth more than uh, specifically a new tech startup. So again, WeWork doesn't count in this area. A new tech startup that is valued at over a billion dollars. So, so yes, you can see that there's been a number of unicorns over the years, and yeah, you're kind of onto something good at that point. Right, so I've sort of shown how we've been idiots recently. One other example that's modern-ish is the financial crash of 2008-2009, where, again, there was this complete misunderstanding. It's like, oh, we've recreated economics. There's this instant place where we're guaranteed to get a return and we're not going to look too deeply into it. It was all to do with collateralized debt obligations, CDOs, and, and spreading out of risk and thinking, well, basically, if we've got these baskets of goods, they're all really, really good, but there's probably a few in there that are rotten. So therefore, if 99% of them are really good and 1% of them might be high risk, We're going to say all of it is really, really good. And then we're going to keep cutting them up and keep diluting them. So, look, you might agree that if 99% is definitely good and 1% is bad, then calling it all good probably works. But if we keep diluting with more and more bad stuff, but keep calling it good stuff, then we're dealing with bundles of mortgages on this occasion. That's how basically the financial whole edifice wobbled big time in 2008, 2009. And you had things like Lehman Brothers collapse as a financial institution, which just two years earlier looked as solid as anywhere. It was a genuine surprise to everybody that Lehman Brothers collapsed. But you got people like Jamie Demon, who, who runs JP Morgan and was in 2008-9, literally dealing with Adam Newman less than 10 years later, sort of saying, you know, I'll be a private banker. You just have this money. Of course, we'll th- think about launching your IPO. Yes, we'll value you at kind of almost whatever you want. And it's like, how can you make the same mistake twice? All the red flags are there. So, you know, when I was in the, you know, was in the WeWorks, it was cool. It was funky. But interestingly, the beer tap in one floor was broken. And on the other floor, because British people clearly drink more than Americans, it was not switched on until 4.30 in the afternoon, People just didn't start the day with a beer, which, you know, might be anathema in America, but seems pretty, pretty good idea in Britain. Hey, I was seeing it from the outside. I was seeing it from the inside. It doesn't surprise me at all that the whole thing collapsed in on itself on a colossal mountain of hubris, which is what this is really all about. But this hubris thing happens a number of times. I'll give you two examples from the 1600s. From the early 1600s, there was this legendary time called Tulip Fever. Now, modern historians have kind of pushed back on it and saying it was probably more complicated than this, and we don't have all the information, but the basic story still stands. Where basically, tulips were actually from the Ottoman Empire, and they were coming into Amsterdam, and specifically the Netherlands, modern day Netherlands, and people liked them. They were colorful flowers. And so they went up a bit in price. And then people saying, you know, well, what happens if we can get you different bulbs of different colors? Like, oh yeah, that would be good. How about I pay you in advance and I guarantee I get the new colored tulips. And so the price went up and up and up. And the rarer the color, the different, the breeds and so on and so forth, the more valuable they became. Now, a tulip bulb, basically in its purest form, kind of looks like a small onion. So, how much would you pay for a small onion that would, you know, a singular tulip bulb? I'll buy that for a dollar. You know, if you were to put it into modern money, it's like, okay, well, nowadays they don't even cost one pound each, all right? Now, this is a time when people were seeing value; they, they, they were new to the market. So, you, I don't know how much would you pay for a single tulip bulb in modern terms? Ten pounds? Hundred pounds? Thousand dollars? You know, at what point does it become silly? And The answer is, at its peak, there was a large house, multiple bedroom house was traded for one tulip bulb. And it was basically at that point that the market in in the Netherlands started going, hang on, when is one flower worth an entire large family home? This is ridiculous. And, and, And as soon as people think it's ridiculous it is ridiculous and it all comes tumbling down. By the way, we're seeing that literally right now at time of recording with NFTs, non fungible tokens, which always were a stupid idea. This was clearly a bubble waiting to happen, and now it turns out everybody's decided, why are we spending this much money on basically electronic code? Ridiculous. So there we go. So that's one from 1600s. It sounds silly, but the point is, and as you've seen in the ones in our own lifetime, people's families were ruined in these situations. Some people who had invested their entire life savings, suddenly had no life savings anymore. It's a terrible story. You know, war is bad, famine is bad, plague is bad, but financial ruin is also, can sometimes be just as corrosive. It can absolutely damage your mental health. It makes you more vulnerable. You can become homeless. You know, there's the shame associated with it. You know, it is a serious thing. Another big one is the Darien Scheme. And this is where I'm going to sort of finish things off for, for for today, where we talk about the British Empire. But of course, Britain didn't exist until the early 1700s. Before that, you would have had Scotland, And you would have had England. And, you know, within England, they obviously also owned Ireland and Wales at that time as well. But let's just call it Scotland and England for the time being. So let's say the year is 1700. There is literally an English empire in, you know, running colonies in America, for example. And Scotland is its own country. It may have a joint crown, but... The problem is, so so around about 1700, it's Queen Anne, for example, and she is both Queen of Scotland and also Queen of England as well. There is a unification in 1707, and it's directly linked to the Darien Scheme, because in the late 1600s, the Scottish nobles realized that England, and even the Netherlands, was doing a very good job of building empires overseas. These relatively small countries are actually gathering up. You know, they've now got more territory in other parts of the world. Money's pouring in. Times are good. Why isn't Scotland getting a slice of this pie? And so making it simple, basically all these aristocrats of scotland decided let's all sink all of our money into one big endeavor which became known as the darien scheme we will start our own scottish empire and they went to central america and basically set up a colony there and, you know, why not? Look at what the Spanish had done in Central America and South America. In the late 1600s, Spain still had colonies in North America, too. And you had the French having big chunks of North America. And the English did, too. Obvious, logical place to go. Probably more high risk to go all the way out to Asia, to the Spice Islands, what we would now call Indonesia, where the Netherlands were. So Scotland decided to go, and it, it was relatively logical. The rest of this is not logical. Remind me to tell you that I'm sick and tired of your logic. That is a most illogical attitude. Because the place they decided to go was really basically on the edge of a jungle next to a malarial swamp. So everybody started dying. Now, admittedly, you had things like that happening in like in Jamestown in, in North America with the English colonists. I guess you could say that local diseases and sort of like aggressive local populations, that's nothing normal. But... the the Scots really did pick a bad place. There wasn't much in the way of resource. There was certainly no arable land. There was no gold mines around there. It was just jungle and disease. And so, you know, it started to fade away. So, the Darien scheme part two is they invested the last of their money. Basically, Scotland, a country, went for broke. They invested everything into this scheme to kickstart a Scottish empire. And By the time of several rounds of of sending colonists over there to set up a sort of settlement and start generating its own money, it had failed. People were dying. There was allegedly examples of cannibalism. People were so desperate for food. In the end, the Spanish went over and sort of like took it out. But really, they didn't need to because there was nothing left by the time they got there with their with their very small naval vessels. And so, it absolutely financially crippled. Scotland. What I said just now about, you know, financial ruin for a family is bad. For a country, it's devastating. And basically, part of the reason why Scotland decided in the early 1700s to unify with England and become Britain is part of the deal. If you look at the sort of like the Act of Union, part of it is that England paid off all the Darien scheme debts. Basically, they remortgage Scotland they they made Scotland financially sound again now this is always forgotten about by like the SNP talking for independence like if you really want independence what are we going to do about the uh, you know these repayments of loans which nowadays would be worth hundreds and hundreds of billions of pounds it's sort of like you know it's it also does specifically say in the Act of Union that it is it is indivisible for all of time. So why any elected official can break that treaty, I don't know. Anyway, that's a whole other conversation. I'm, I'm not against uh, Scottish independence. I just happen to think that we work better together. That's all. But the thing is, though, it, you know, it doesn't matter where we are in the world and kind of what time, there are examples in, in Roman times. Diocletian, the Emperor Diocletian, sort of like nearly invented sort of economic theory. And basically he tried, to rebuild the economy of Rome, leading to colossal amounts of inflation, which he tried to capitalize by saying, if anybody goes onto a black market and sort of starts doing things in a different way, you will be killed. It's like, well, that's a very extreme form of economics there, Diocletian. But uh, he's one of the few emperors who actually retired, and he then grew cabbages. So an unusual emperor anyway. But these kind of boom and busts of, of trade and money happens throughout society. Because of the modern world being so interconnected now, we're seeing it happen more often, either with a singular company like WeWorks or the financial crash of 2008, 2009. And then obviously in 2020, because of the pandemic, slowing down all economies, that was the single biggest recession in world history. Now we bounce back. You could say it was an artificial recession because we were all stopped working when we didn't well we wanted to continue to work and there was still demand, etc. But it does show you that economics is interesting. And sometimes we need to understand what's happening financially at a period of history to understand why the history is actually happening. So yeah, I hope I've made economics interesting and the dot-com bubble bursting. And hey, if you, you actually still go to all WeWorks, I'd love to hear that. You can always get me, as I said at the beginning of this, uh, at Jem on Twitter. But yeah, thank you very much for your time. And as always, there'll be another episode soon. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance.